musical linguistic Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I would like to begin today by first thanking our fellow saloners who have made donations this year to fund these podcasts. As you know, there won't be a month of fundraising requests this year because I've decided to uh, see if by having an optional payment plan for our salon's forums, well, that maybe those donations could cover our annual expenses. And I'm happy to report that, well, it appears to be working. So far this calendar year, there have been 64 new members who have registered for our forums, and 13 of them have uh, passed up the free membership and made donations that will be used to keep these podcasts coming your way. And those wonderful fellow saloners are Philly B, Rasmus P, Charles P, Steve A, John C, Wooly W, Jim J, DeWalt Photo, Sasha P, Andres J, Mike W, Zach W, and another Steve A. And uh, thanks to those wonderful saloners, our expenses are covered for the next few months. But on top of that, last week I received a check in the mail from longtime saloner and major donor Margine M. There was uh, no note in the envelope, uh, just a very large check. But now, thanks to Margine, our expenses are covered well into the summer months. And so, again this year, Margine, I want to thank you for your very generous donation to the salon. Also, I want to thank all of the participants in our forums for the uh, interesting comments and exchanges that are being posted there. And after today's talk, I'll have a little bit more to say about some of the goings-on in our forums. Now, uh, as I was previewing the recording that we are about to listen to, it caused me to pause for a moment and think about how far, how wonderfully far, we have come in moving the discussion of psychedelics and shamanism into the uh, realm of public discussion and public academic work. Since most of our fellow saloners are, uh, well, at least relative to me, somewhat young, I feel that I should remind you that uh, back in 1984, when I first became involved in this community, there was essentially no information whatsoever to be found on these topics outside of a few academic journals. When I was uh, still working in corporate America, it was next to impossible for me to discuss cannabis or psychedelics with anyone that I knew at work. Eventually, I made contact with just one other psychedelic person out of the thousands who worked on our particular IT campus. And we never, as in never, spoke about such things at work for fear of being overheard and losing our jobs. Now, that may have been an overreaction on our part, but that was the way things were back then. And uh, from what I understand, that's basically how things remain in the military and on some police forces. So we still have a long way to go before we can talk about psychedelics around the water cooler at work, but progress is definitely being made. So as we listen to Shauna, who lists Veronica's achievements in blending shamanism into the default world, I hope that you too will be understandably proud of the fact that today we are getting much closer to my dream of being able to discuss psychedelics and shamanism in casual conversations anywhere we go even at the places where we work. Now, here is Shauna Holm 
who will introduce today's speaker, Veronica Hernandez. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another podcast discussion for the Psychedelic Salon. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Veronica Hernandez. She is a clinical psychologist and shamanic practitioner. Born in Peru, since 2006, she's been trained in shamanic facilitation. Veronica received her clinical training at the Institute of Rational Emotive Therapy in New York under the supervision of Dr. Albert Ellis. She was assistant professor at the Universidad Peruano Cayetano Heredia and research assistant at the Hospital Psiquiatrico Noguchi de Lima, Peru. In the United States, she worked as a social services clinician at John Muir Health Hospital's inpatient psychiatric adolescent unit in California, and currently she's completing her doctoral degree at California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, where she is carrying out research on the healing and transformative benefits of entheogens, particularly ayahuasca. So welcome, Veronica. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Shauna. Me too. Me too. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I heard that uh, talk you gave at, I think it was the Entheo Health and Wellness Conference, and uh, you were discussing entheogens as a catalyst for individuation, and that, that got my attention right away. Yes, yes. That, that's been a theme that I've been, um, you know, it's a personal theme, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as um, bringing it um into academia, you know, for, for personal growth, for um, for bridging two, um, two models, you know, like the Jungian model, mm-hmm. psychology model, and the shamanic model, how we individuate, which means how we become whole. So that's that's been the theme for the last few years in my life, and, you know, that's where I'm carrying research and, you know, working with clients along the lines as well. Well, this is, it's fascinating, and I'm always curious to know how the interest in the shamanic piece came about, and I understand you've been working with shamans for some time, and there is uh, quite a bit of history there, so would you mind sharing uh, how, what sparked your interest in the first place in the shamanic world? Absolutely. Um, Well, I... uh I come from a from a country where we have a lot of a lot of uh, shamanism as a spiritual practice. I, I wouldn't say that you know most of the population um, follows that, but uh, a great part of the population. And also, um, my father is from the jungle. My grandfather was from the jungle, so I think that was. One of the one of the things that at an early age was uh, was brought to me in in, in various ways, uh, but I let's say I went with my father for the first time when I was fourteen years old to drink San Pedro, which is a plant from the Andes, and that built a different reality for me, and that's when I started you know looking into plant medicines, looking into healing properties. I grew up with a mom who was always ill, so I was always looking for ways to help her. So that's how I started on a personal, on my personal path of healing and of using plants and being curious about what shamanism brought, as opposed to any other religion, in this case, Catholic religion that I grew up with as well. Okay, so you grew up with with uh, Catholicism, that's interesting. Uh, Catholicism. 
and shamanism on the side, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting because a lot of these traditional uh, uh, commun indigenous communities have incorporated a lot of the uh, Catholic vernacular <laughs> into awesome. their practice. You see the saints there and uh, the Virgin Mary is worshipped yeah. and... And uh, it's actually, uh, I think it's very striking the way that has, has worked, you know, where they just assimilated that into uh, what, they already, what, what they already had and made it very beautiful, I think. It's, it's like a syncretism of those two. Yeah, yeah. That, that's in many ways, yes. The tradition that I am, um, that I am mostly, like now mostly um, interested in ayahuasca, is um it's the Chipibo tradition. It's uh it's a tribe from from the jungle, from the region of Pucallpa, although they're very settled in Iquitos now because that's where most people go to drink ayahuasca, most foreigners. Um and that's a very old tradition. Doesn't you know doesn't have to do anything with religion. It's very nature based plan. It's called vegetalismo, it's their tradition. And it's just very communal to, um, to plants. It's, um, you commune with the jungle and with every living being. And, um, it, they really work in, work with yourself and getting the resources yourself, your internal resources. And that's what transforms your life. So that's, that's the place that I'm using more, um, you know, that, that tradition and that lineage. Um, in my work, in my personal work, and as a practitioner as well. I'm going to start using more of that take. Okay. How did you find your way to that tribe? Because this was obviously, so started at 14 with San Pedro, and then it has been obviously quite a path uh, since then. And so well, what brought you to the ayahuasca? How old were you when you experienced that? I um well I I drank ayahuasca when I was 16. It was it was not the I wouldn't say it was not a full blown ayahuasca journey. Mm -hmm. But you know it was it was it was it was quite a bit to like look internal and then start seeing you know aspects of myself that I really didn't wasn't aware. You know when you're a teenager you're not very aware of yourself. You're trying to find yourself, right? Yeah. So that brought certain I wouldn't say negative because it's not about you know something negative it's about some shadow parts you know and as 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 Jung says let's become let's come to befriend our shadow part because that's part of us right mm -hmm. and we need to give it a voice and we need to incorporate it to all other aspects but um that that piqued my curiosity especially like you know like that um I connected very much to the indigenous part, and I have indigenous in me. And I just uh, a few months ago discovered by my dad that I, I come from the lineage of the Shipibo. You know, my grandfather was born out of a Shipibo woman, which we really didn't know until recently. So, I don't know, it's been a long walk into different shamanic traditions, you know, some more loose, some more eclectic. I trained with a with a Peruvian shaman here has an eclectic approach to shamanism, and when I went back to the jungle and started working with Ashipibos, that's where I found like okay, this is really the place where I belong. 
it's just a feeling. My spirit can just really rest. I can open up. I can deal with everything because I'm held in a space that allows for that, allows me to go deep inside, to look at what I don't want to look and to, you know, like be more conscious, bring light to that so that I can transform my life. And this last time in May of 2015, um, I, I was so blessed with the many sessions I was doing um, with ayahuasca. Um, and I know that this has happened to many people who have, who have drank it because that's, you know, the purpose. Ayahuasca wants you to know yourself. It's, it's the one plan that will let you know what's going on with you, whether you're aware of it, whether you want to see it or not. Now, what you do with that information is a whole different thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, that's why I choose that plant for transformation, because there's nowhere to hide with her. Right. You know? And also, it just, um, it's a plant that brings also so much compassion, you know? Because if you really tune into her energy, she just wants you to know yourself. She pushes you to the limits, so that you can transform your life and be the creator of your life and actually be what you came to here to be and to do. So that's that to me is, is, is my life purpose. And that's why I serve as a guide for people to, to do that. Discover what are what are you here for? You know, and what makes you the most happy, fulfilled, whole human being you know it's not easy sometimes to be a human being we have spirit we have matter and it's that struggle sometimes on, on how to integrate how to connect those two right and also our world is really i mean people are mad as hatters right i mean there is incredible change flux turmoil it's crazy out there i think also yeah people are really trying to you know deal with all of that which i think is overwhelming as well well, I think it's very interesting, this contrast that you have, because you have this extraordinary training since the age really of 14 in the shamanic, in this very nature-centric, human-centric also path, and then you have chosen uh, clinical psychology as well. Yeah. And yes. so um, what got you interested in that? What got me interested in clinical psychology? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted uh, to study a career in in philosophy or psychology. I was interested. I was always reading things to help us understand a little bit more of us. I love literature, and then I finally, you know, chose psychology because it had a broader, like it, it could include many things. I could you know, do many things with it. And also because I wanted to answer a lot of questions like of, of meaning, of, um, you know, different ways that we can, that we can explain the whys of life. You know, I had so many whys since the age of four, and I don't ask why anymore. I have learned that. But uh, at the time, you know, it was like, okay, I needed, I needed those answers. And I went to a medical school to study clinical psychology, and that was very, um, very, very clinical, medical model oriented. Um, it was great training, 
but it was missing. It was, it felt like it was missing something for me throughout the years. You know, I worked in many hospitals, psychiatric hospitals. Even when I came to United States, my first job uh, was in a psychiatric hospital and I ended up staying there for eight years. I was a, a social worker, a clinician for an adolescent inpatient psych. Hmm. And, um, but the thing that was missing and what got me like, so my interest was trying to understand human behavior, my behavior, people's behavior, and how we could connect more. Um, the thing that over the years was lacking is was the spiritual part. You know, many, many schools of psychology are missing um, connecting to spirit. And it's about behavior. It's about cognitive behavior. Or it's about the internal process. It's about psychoanalyzing everything you've got in life. But you know what? It's almost like they're missing, missing that connection. You know that that human connection, that complete empathy, that a something that we get with other spiritual traditions. So I decided, okay, well, I want to combine those two. You know, I have my shamanic practice, my personal practice, and I'm a clinician. So why don't I bridge those two? And also in 2006, I lost uh, a dear friend. He was a psychiatrist that I was working with um, in this hospital. He died of a sudden accident. And um, I got really depressed. Um, he was one of my best friends. He was holding our unit so lovingly that it was, it was a great loss for patients, for staff, for everybody. So... I decided I, I I just, you know, got off work for a couple of months and was dealing with, you know, all the losses, all the grievings that I didn't do, you know, because I was always keeping myself busy. And I said, you know what, like in psychology, in psych hospitals, in the medical model, what's missing is the connection to spirit. And I started, you know, going and doing my shamanic practices even more. And that's what got me really out of my depression, out of that, you know, like place where you're like, don't find meaning much in what you're doing. And it started like questioning, okay, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Although there's some aspects that are not working and I know that are not fulfilling. So I decided to go back to school and bridge those two. Um because, you know, there's many things also than spiritual traditions. We miss out by not dealing with emotional things, with our own personality, mm -hmm. which we call spiritual bypass, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that two are very important, that two can work together beautifully. You know, you take, bring spirit into your, into your emotions, into your being, and, and make a whole sense of yourself. Yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, I have a question for you with all of that work in those psychiatric hospitals. That's a, a lot of psych drugs. Um, and I mean, I work with clients as well. And um, the people who I work with who are on um, antidepressants are endeavoring to get off them. Uh, I have worked with two people, one who was hospitalized for attempted suicide, uh, another person who was in a psych ward for another reason. And they said people are walking zombies. They are drugged left, right, and center. Um, how do you 
feel about I, I'm just very curious to get your thoughts on that, especially because you are so well steeped in the shamanic, which, you know, would would not give a nod to that kind of thing. That's very sort of antithetical to the shamanic way. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, um, I think the medical model and the psychiatric model are following what, you know, um, just like they treat symptoms and they use medicines and they give out medicines left and right without really like, there's not a whole lot of research, especially with kids and adolescents. You know, I mean, I, I, I work with kids that from ages five to 18 and there was not a lot of research into what's, what's good for them. They were diagnosed just because a, a kid can be a little hyper. They did they, their ADHD immediately give them meds because they don't fit in the classroom, you know, in the norm. Mm-hmm. So we have to normalize everybody by dispensing a lot of, you know, pharmaceuticals. And, and the only thing we're doing is, you know, getting the pharmaceutical companies rich and we're not getting any better. Right. And also, yeah. And, and who's determining the norm? I mean, that's, I find the most that's, disturbing, right? Because our norm thing, exactly. It's, it's not like, normal. <laughs> it's not normal. Yes. And that's something that we really need to like have a stand. And many times I've said, you know, like when I, when I had talks and even when I was working in the hospitals, you know, like some of the kids were just dropped and then completely, um, uh, completely asleep, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even when they were awake, there was like the, their, their, their spark, their spirit was gone. Right. You know, right. because you, you, that's what, that's what many, um, pharmaceuticals do, you know, many psychiatric medicines do, to do to you, they break your spirit, you know, mm-hmm. and they, mm-hmm. then you're just like, like what you said, a walking zombie, you know, following the norm, following what we're supposed to fit in. Um, never question anything, never come up with a different way of perceiving the world and actually wanting to live that way. And that is very unfortunate because, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's a battle, a constant battle we have with, with, um, with the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, you have to, you know, sell a certain brand, a certain thing, and, and then everybody's taking it. Then there comes out a book. Everybody is in the diet or in the medicines that, you know, that they determine. That's a sad thing. You know, it's almost like we've lost the capacity to feel for ourselves, you know, and to let our bodies just be different and, and have different um, different ways of being, different ways of behavior. And right. I'm not saying that it, that's, you know, like some people, some people really need it. They do need, but it's not the majority of people. No. Oh, my and Lord, that's, no. That's the thing. You know, I think here they're trying to give out medicines for everybody. Everybody comes and then you, you get diagnosed with depression. They already have a list of things that they're going to give to you. Instead of taking the time to getting to know the person, you know? Right, right, right. Well, it's really all like the uh, diagnosis is the commercial and then the drug is the the product they're ultimately trying to sell. (laughs) not, not, Not the whole person. Yeah, yeah. So I really think that, you know, being in uh, psychotherapy these days, I think it is a massive responsibility because 
I mean, personally, I could not in good conscience, you know, maintain myself in an environment that condones, you know, the drugging of uh, people, particularly children, just willy-nilly as we see. And so this is also why um, when I hear of people like yourself who have uh, been touched uh, very profoundly by the uh, shamanic path and the use of entheogens such as ayahuasca, San Pedro. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to hear more of what you people have to say because I think that is uh, a very old uh, path of, uh, well, healing, although I don't think it used to be used in the way that we are using it today because I don't think it had to be, right? Because it was, you know, maintained by these cultures which were very different and yet, you know, it is providing an amazing uh, route out of uh, a a lot of uh, incredible emotional and mental issues that people are experiencing today. How does your practice look, Veronica, how do you incorporate the shamanic into your practice? How do I incorporate shamanic into my practice? I, um, first of all, what I do is I, what, what I interview people, what, you know, new people. Um, I, I usually work with people that are not taking a lot of medications. I mean, they might be taking some medications and we work into, because, because they want to, they want to get off their meds. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't work with anybody trying to convince people, oh, you know what, you shouldn't be taking meds, you should be, you know, it's people that actually have not found a lot of progress, they're not happy in their lives. Um, you know, psychiatric medicines are, you know, actually debilitating their capacity to live fully in their lives. So a lot of the times they come to me and what they want is they want to have an experience of, you know, feeling alive with either it's pain or joy or whatever, but the capacity to feel is gone. So that's okay. what I want to do. And uh, so, you know, I take people to, I take people to Peru you know, when they really want to, you know, experience, you know, medicine in a container like the jungle, that is great to be able to get off some of your medications. Um, And, you know, I work with physicians as well that are on the shamanic path because I'm not a physician. I know a lot about medications, but I always want to make sure that we're monitoring, you know, as we are tapering off medicines from people, and incorporating more natural medicines, you know, jungle medicines. Right. Right. So that's that's one, one thing I do with them. And then um, the rest of them I take into nature. You know, that's another part of my work. I take people to nature to experience what you can experience also sometimes with um, entheogens, you know, just being in nature, being able to breathe. And you can take different herbs, um, to open up to that experience, to just, you know, settle you in and really connect. See, the thing is, medicines and natural medicines and antigens help you connect. They're, they start the pathway. Then there comes a time where you really don't need much of them because you already have that, that pathway. 
So when you're in nature, you immediately feel it. When you're doing an activity or a practice, you're immediately feeling feeling it. So um, as I say, I use herbs, I use antigens, um, and then the other the other part of my practice is is, is actually spiritual counseling. Um, and I don't call it like you know like um, it's 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 clinical psychology practice, but but I mostly call it spiritual counseling. You know, we include arts, we include a lot of things that Jung itself um, gave us a great model for. You know, and that's why I love Jungian analysis so much because it incorporates all the arts and uh, and rituals and practices that are so close to shamanism to me. You know, and, and, and what was what was missing in misses a lot in psychology. You know, and many of the other talk therapy or or other practices. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh Jungian psychology uh, in the psychiatric uh, world here often uh, this expression of dissolving the ego and we're going to dissolve the ego and and I always take that step back and I'm like well if we dissolve the ego we're dead <laughs> like we yes. need the ego <laughs> so yes, what does Jung uh, say about the ego what is the importance of the ego well, it's it's not. I think it's it, it is the it's the dissolving of the unhealthy ego, right? That gives birth to the self. Right? So it's almost like, a, let's say, in our first half of life, right? We are we are developing our ego. Mm-hmm. You know, we're developing our way, our place in the world, and we're establishing ourselves, right? So that requires for us to 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 build a persona, you know, our ego. That's what we show to the world, and that's how we function. Right. But in the second half of life, usually after midlife crisis or some crisis around your late 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. um, and then for some people, maybe in the earlier mid-30s, um, the process starts, right? So it requires to letting go of that persona so that we can have the ego you know, get a healthier, get, get healthier. When I, when I say let go of the persona, it's letting go of those parts of the ego that don't serve. Right. right. That keep us in a in status quo and don't allow us to connect with spirit, to connect with something bigger than ourselves mm-hmm. and to give birth to our real self, you know, the one that guides, that's the spirit connected to your heart, connected to your gut. That's the place where we want to develop I mean, we want to develop it, but it usually comes in the second half of life. So that's what Jung always say, that ego needs to be a servant to the self rather than the master. Right, right. And I that's mean, we've mastered in the first half of life. Everything is about the ego, whether it's relationships, jobs, and things like that. It usually has that, okay, what is in there for me? Yes, which is a necessary staging. Yes. And we still need to do, and we still have to keep that, but we can broaden it because, yes, there's this part of me that is, you know, otherwise I wouldn't exist as Veronica and you as Shauna, but, you know, and that's not the end of it. Right, right. But it's almost, it's like consciousness, though, needs, it needs a carrier. It needs a vessel, right? And our ego, our healthy one is the vessel to be able to connect to spirit. Yeah. So actually, it's not a dissolution of it. It's dissolution of the parts that don't serve us. 
Thank you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That that helps a lot to hear that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really see the ego as the carrier of consciousness. And so that is the process of individuation. Then, yes, an ego persona is developed. And then around late 30s or so, people start to ask uh, the heady, headier questions. Or I see also... Uh, often there's like a midlife face slap, <laughs> Anta, which throws everything into question, right? And you do start looking at things very differently and starting to go um, uh, hopefully much far deeper than uh, you have to that point. Yeah. And, uh, and then this incredible process uh, begins. And so, yeah, and so you're talking about the self, that's self capital S, yes, like capital the high S. self. Yes. And and we are ultimately subordinate to that self. It like lives within the deep psyche, if you will, or the soul. Yes? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I, I like um there's a fellow named Edward Edinger. I'm sure you know of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scholar of Jung. Um he yeah. said something to the effect that um as you cultivate your psyche uh, you know, on your own, you're actually influencing the greater collective. So, in other words, this work, Absolutely. yeah, it's this is not self-indulgent. This is essential. And if you can, um, you know, come into uh, greater awareness of of the inner workings of your own psyche, and uh, you know, make whatever shifts are necessary, you are going to have an effect on the collective. Ego self. And it's not self-indulgence, but it's actually, I completely agree with you in terms of as we move our consciousness and work on our own consciousness, then we're, you know, bringing also the uh, collective consciousness um, up, you know, up with us wherever we move, you know. So I completely agree with you that it's not a self-indulgence. That is the work we came to do, transform ourselves, because we can't transform the world. We can't transform anybody. We're not going to change anything if we don't start with ourselves. Yes. The only thing we have, we have a mission, control over, and we can do. And actually, by doing that, we serve as, you know, as an example, as a living example of, for other people to see if that resonates with them or not and what they want to do. But it's in our own transformation that we can move consciousness and grow. That's yeah. what I believe. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think so. I think this is very important. Um, I, you know, things have changed so radically in our culture in the last hundred plus years. And uh, I was listening to Edinger a while back, and, and he was talking about how Jung loved Nietzsche, and he was talking about Nietzsche making that declaration that God is dead. And essentially what he was saying, not that necessarily a creator is dead, because that's impossible. Um, you know, we're alive, there's some kind of intelligence available. But that the vast container that man looks to, be it a mythology or religion, that that was passing, essentially, right? And then and then when that happens, then the state will take over and you get socialism, communism, you know, statism, right? That becomes the new religion. 
And, uh, and that can't ultimately fulfill you because there's nothing holy in that. There's nothing sacred in that. There's nothing human in that, ultimately. And so uh, Jung was saying, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially that then it becomes, you know, when the collective has lost that container, then it becomes up to the individual. Can we do this individually and yes. essentially find the uh, God, if you will, uh, within ourselves? Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why yeah, I, I agree. That's exactly what Jung says. And that's how it overlaps really beautifully also with shamanism. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. the, by the definition, antigens is finding the God within they help you find your own God, your own beauty, your own creativity, your own image of the creator. Like we are the creators of our lives and that's what antigens help. That's why, um, that's also what uh, Jungian analysis promotes, you know, it doesn't promote following whatever. No, it's, it's your own, your own individual. And it's not individual as being individual and it's just about yourself. It's individuation in the sense of growing so that you can be more in community, so that you can be more for others. Because if you're not really, you know, in congruence with yourself, that's what you're going to bring in in the world. So, right, it is about the God within. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, you know, we see all too many people who, want to go out there and make a difference, but have not necessarily done their own personal work, if you will. And, uh, and so a lot of shadow material comes forth and, uh, you know, it just becomes a mess rather than having someone who, uh, can see what is going on, see that, uh, you know, things are very wrong and whatever that area is that they feel called to, uh, and be able to address that, uh, but not coming from this almost, uh, you know, place of sort of irrational, um, my way or the highway kind of mentality. But at the same time, you know, I mean, we need stuff done and we need good warriors. We really need good warriors at this time. No, yeah, absolutely. We do. We do. But it's, it's, it's great when you really know yourself and yeah. know your limits. So you don't, you stop projecting or you catch yourself when you are doing so. And you, you know, you turn it around and then, you, you know, otherwise it's, it, it just won't go anywhere. It's like a lot of also, again, mentioning a lot of spiritual traditions. They, they go on this spiritual bypass because they have not grown emotionally, psychologically. Right. Um, to, to where they are in their spiritual practice, you know, and when you see their everyday lives and their relationships and, and things like that, you're like thinking, okay, like how is this possible? But it is possible because it's almost like the human part is not caught up with whatever tradition they're trying to follow. I was going to say, Veronica, that um, this weaves us, I think, into shadow here. And uh, I, I actually think that, um, you know, learning the work of uh, young in relation to shadow and what that is all about is very essential foundation uh, for working with entheogens because the entheogenic experience can also bring up a lot of shadow stuff, which if you're not, you know, if you don't have a touchstone for that, 
that can be real can really throw you and so can you speak to uh what is shadow what was young talking about uh he was very uh adamant that we uh explore this and uh get some kind of a, a, a handle on our own shadow here Yes, yes. Well, what, what, what he was referring basically on, on shadow work was all those aspects that we have neglected, mm-hmm. although uh, all those aspects of ourselves that we have neglected that we don't want to look at, um, whether it's feelings, experiences, ways of being that are, you know, we're in, you're either ashamed of, um, embarrassed, we really don't want to, we don't want to relate to them. So we, you know, we just put push them down somewhere in our psyche, and what it does is, when we encounter situations that actually have those aspects, then we start projecting them. You know, like we start criticizing things that otherwise we have in ourselves, but we just decide to project it and see it in the outer world, because we are not in congruence with our inner world, right? Which includes sometimes, yes. Um, to give an ex- I mean to give to give an example um, you know like this last time and I'm, I'm gonna give an example of, 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 of myself um, you know like there was a masculine way of, of me of being in the world that was not serving me anymore and I you know in, in I was at how would I put at odds with aspects of the masculine in the world because I internalized, a certain masculine way that was in conflict. So when I went and had ayahuasca this last time in May, I just realized, you know what? The very thing that I'm criticizing, the very thing that I don't like about what's going on in many institutions and many situations, I have inside myself. And, and you know, and I've created this persona to survive in, like, as a woman in a Latin country where I have to be tough, I have to, you know, like develop this ways I didn't have to but I chose to and I, I, I realized you know what that is not working in my relationships it's not working in certain areas in my life so I decided to take a good look at where are the places where I hold the masculine that I so much criticize in the outer world so that is an example of shadow work you have to look inside of you where are you holding when something really triggers you when something is um, something that you're really ashamed or embarrassed like sexuality for example is a big one for everybody you know because we're supposed to by wherever we grow up our society or religion to be a certain way and sometimes we're not and sometimes we have other feelings and sometimes we have preferences and so those all those things are kept in secret, kept inside and not you know, not integrated, not fully acknowledged, not fully like brought into okay, so at least I'm aware of this, I don't need to act on it. What comes with shadow work is you don't have an awareness or an acknowledgement of it and it comes out in you know, unconsciously and acted out. That's the piece that we need to work on. Right, and often other people can see it, <laughs> but the person themselves has no clue. <laughs> you are blind to it, yes. Right, that's the, that's the shadow. I worked with an amazing teacher, uh, Dr. Brew Joy, who's uh, since passed away, but he was 
very Jungian, and he uh, explained that he said the ego has a really hard time doing this kind of shadow work because it is so identified with you know its identity, and he was saying that the best way to approach the shadow is through the heart center. And he would encourage us to sit for a few moments and just sit in that heart center, which is that spark of divine in us, that place that can hold the bigger picture, and then approach it from yeah. that that place, which uh, you know many of us found tremendously helpful. And he would also say, when you are working with a shadow piece, he would explain this is but a clump of trees in the forest of your being. It's not all of you but to you know be sure you have that understanding but the more we cast that out then of course the the bigger and more exaggerated it becomes until we can really as you say integrate that and and how does that look veronica to integrate it how's how does that work well, integration integration is like well for one have consciousness and awareness of, of, of parts of yourself and so when you go and you know when you want to act in a certain way or, or you just stop and feel it like okay like there's a part of me that feels this and feel it you don't need to stay in the feeling you don't need to dwell on certain feelings or certain things but you, you know what? Give it a give it a space. Give it a space because it needs a voice. It's a part of us. I mean we're human here. We're not for one, there's no room for perfection. There's so much room for humanness. And humanness includes everything. It includes light and shadow and everything in between. So when something is coming up in a way that we don't want to look at, don't want to feel a certain feeling, don't want to be this, don't want to be that, just feel it. And then just get past it. And see what's on the other side of it. There's so much more to it. But the minute we start like either wanting to push it down or ignore it, it becomes bigger. And then that it takes over. You know, it takes over other aspects of our lives, right. other aspects of our persona, of our, you know, of ourself. Our the key here, and what I found also in working with antigens is when people are really in terror or really freaked out, I, I hold them and I just travel with them. You know, I don't want to like tone it down. I don't want to any, I just want them to know that there's somebody there with them that has been there and that that will pass. That is just one space, one place, one aspect of them. And that will pass and go into something else. You know, to not resist it. Right. Flow with it. When you flow with life, everything passes, and then you get to choose. With your heart, with a clear mind, with your gut, you get to choose what is it that you want to engage in. That's right. And it has to be conscious in order for you to even be able to make the choice in the first place. It has to be conscious. Uh, and theogens will help you see your shadow, won't they? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes, big time, big time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get back into that actually. So, Veronica, so 
when you incorporate entheogens into your work, so you said you bring people into the jungle to work with another shaman, or how does that work? I so yes, yes. When it comes uh, to working with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. I work with ayahuasca, and um, ayahuasca is a very big medicine, and I I am learning to work with it. Uh, I, as I say, I'm training. Um, I love to work with with someone and, you know, hold a space and work with people with energetics, holding them, um, you know, helping them through their process, preparing them for the for the journey and integrate. Like, and so I call preparation sessions. Then it comes the the ceremony, and then it comes integration sessions. So all the things that come up, you know, in in the session, in the with the medicine, then we integrate them in their lives. We start making meaning of it. You know, they start telling their stories in a way with these new insights that they got, or symbols that came to them, and how do they translate in their everyday lives? Because that's the work. Mm-hmm. You know, the work not so much. Let's go in this fabulous journey, and then I'll, you know, have all these visions, insights, or things. Well, if you don't really bring it back to your everyday life, it doesn't really mean much, other than having a great experience. And you'll have a collection of great experiences, but not something that actually is going to bring transformation in your life, if you don't incorporate it in your everyday life. So bring that non-ordinary place into your ordinary life. That is the work actually okay and you you mentioned symbols and of course the deep psyche or the soul i mentioned what i you mentioned the word symbols in there uh uh with regard to the journey you know that it's very symbolic and uh yes and and the deep psyche speaks symbolically and so uh can you speak to that in terms of how so this is how it speaks. It speaks symbolically. And we are really, as a people, symbolically illiterate. So how does one even begin to come into an understanding of the language of symbolism? Well, um, when I when I work with people, I mean, they usually, you know, come up with, I mean, whether it's in their visions or their feelings and, and come up with symbols, I often ask them. And, and they sometimes kind of know. So what is what is this or what is what does it feel to you that this is speaking you know sometimes it's it's a certain um it can be an entity it could be a religious figure it could be um it could be some something in nature that's coming strongly as a symbol in your in your journey and uh what connection like start finding the connections you have to those symbols if any Sometimes people have the ayahuasca patterns, and they're from other cultures, right? Even even for me, you know, I I didn't grow up in the Shipibo tribe, but I do see the patterns. So a lot of the times we want to know, okay, so what does this mean? So there are common visions, you know, like if, let's say, you and I go and drink ayahuasca, we're probably going to have some common visions, right, mm-hmm. that come from the from the medicine and from the jungle. Um, but then you're going to have your own personal symbology, you know, that comes from the containing myth you grew up with and, you know, the place you grew up with, the things you have read, your connections to symbol. 
what I do is I bring those into what are they what are they speaking to you you know what part of that um, speaks either to your ego super ego I mean what what is it that you're speaking for young he um, you know there was this feminine figures because there were there he was not very um, in touch with his anima right and mm -hmm. that was the voice of the anima like these different female figures you know that were coming and uh, and soul was speaking to him because he was very disconnected from soul and it, so there are different different pieces um, or different symbols that come to speak to the things that we are either not in touch with um, and we need to pay attention to what they're trying to tell us You know, because they do speak to us. Well, and, and, and so those are the those are the things that I've encountered. Um, you know, people within time and actually, you know, bringing movement and bringing art. Sometimes they draw the symbols they see, and after a few sessions, they start bringing more meaning to it mm -hmm. and what it means to them through their dreams as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is what is the place that you've encountered symbols. In your in your work, or how have you? Oh my goodness! Well, first of all, dreams, and I was going to ask you about that. If you yeah. work with people with dreams, and because I will often, um, if I'm working with someone, um, also who's had a mushroom experience or an ayahuasca experience, and they want to come in and discuss and integrate, and I will work with it as if I'm working with a, a dream, and so. Uh, I explain that the dream, dreams are the deep psyche speaking to you, or really psyche being the Greek word for soul. It's the soul. It's the language of the soul, which is uh, completely symbolic. And um, so, and then I explain that when you're working with dreams, you have to shift states of consciousness. You can't work with a dream in this conscious mind because it's not this language, right? You have to shift states and then go into a far more intuitive, uh, closer to the state of the, dream, the dreamer, and then, you know, play with, you know, what is it trying to tell you? Uh, and then that the events going on in their lives are very important because that plays a role in terms of uh, often what these dreams are saying or often what the journey is saying to them. Uh, and, uh, and then it's very important, I think, to know your mythology because a lot of that as Jung spoke of archetypes you know that there are common themes for us as human beings right right that has to do with our containing myth and that's why it's so important also to be in nature mm -hmm. and to use art as a way also to you know um, bring, bring meaning to those symbols you know right almost, yeah yeah right because a picture What is that expression? A picture speaks a thousand words. A thousand words, absolutely, yes. And nature and art are amazing integrators of, of everything, healers. I mean, they are. Yes, and I think also dance. Dance, uh, absolutely, one form of art, yes. Yeah, because it's something, you know, we, we're just not uh, encouraged to move our bodies like that anymore, and yet... Uh, yeah. language is only one way of expressing and I think you know especially when you're trying to understand uh, an, uh, 
you know, a journey on ayahuasca or psilocybin or San Pedro. Uh, well, and dreams. I think they are so very similar. Uh, like you say, you can express it through art and so much more comes out because you're using a different part of the brain and you can dance it as well. And that can activate something, a very different place of understanding within the psyche that can actually give you another key into what was really being presented to you or what was being said. I'm a dancer. And that's what a lot of the times integrates because there are things that don't make sense also in our journeys. Mm -hmm. It's great to move it through our bodies Mm -hmm. and have an expression of all that energy, you know, as opposed to try to, you know, make meaning of it. I mean, we can make meaning of many things, but sometimes it's just a matter of moving it. Sometimes it's just a matter of releasing certain energies. So that's when I use, um, you know, like tobacco and other things to release energy and move energy. Yeah, you know, to me that is just so, it makes perfect sense. It's so human because we have become so mechanistic. Our entire culture is mechanistic. School is mechanistic. Hospitals are mechanistic. And that's actually the antithesis of what it is to function as a a human being. That's actually not how we function at all. And uh, and so, yeah, so what you're speaking of, this is really about freeing up the psyche and hopefully deprogramming it to a certain extent. Get out of all of that mechanistic, institutional training that we all have. Yes, deconditioning. That's what we're here to, to do. Deconditioning and remember. Remember the ways that we used to connect. Remember the ways that we used to relate And we used to create, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot to learn. There's a whole lot to unlearn to be able to be in touch with that basic instinct that's connected to your heart, to your spirit in order to create something different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, let's see. All right. So, well, I want to talk about dreams just a little bit more. So do you go, you, do you go into that? You must go into that with your clients, their dreams, exploring. We explore. We explore. We explore dreams. Um, yes, we do. Um, I usually so dreams is one one thing I do work with, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not the main thing I work with. Usually, what we do is we um, I I create um, I create a space for them to be able to act or move or express a lot of their emotions, a lot of their processes, whether they're, they understand it or they have meaning to them or not. It's almost like they need to act, you know, uh-huh. their process. Right. So that's what usually, what, that's what mostly I work with. Right. And, um, it's dreams. I, I work with dreams, although that's not, that's not what I, um, Let's say that is not the main thing I I use to be able to do my work and do the integration work with them. Okay, okay. Huh? Do, do you find though that uh, when people have uh, experience with the, their entheogens, you know that their dreams will uh, uh, be activated? Absolutely. Oh no, 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 no. As I say, I do. Yeah. I do in journal, and then we bring the dreams. And, and, and we do, and the, the dreams get so vivid. A lot of their emotional, um, 
world comes in their dreams. So absolutely, we do we do work with it. Um, as I say, it's not the only thing I use. Like I don't yeah. not only work with the dreams. Of course, of course. Got yes. it. Okay. I remember one one dream that was really um, you know that came came to me in this this last um, time I was in the jungle. It was like I was walking over a lot of what I what I thought it was a lot of dead bodies. Mm-hmm. But then once in a while you would see somebody like really looking at you, and mm-hmm. it's almost like trying to extend their hands, you know. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was a disturbing. What's very disturbing because it was a very large area with a lot of bodies there, um, almost dead, and some of them dead, but. Um, it, it was, you know, when I came to work with it, and, and it, it was always like a passage between, you know, like the underworld, uh-huh. and you're in the underworld, and some people are really wanting to, you know, connect and say, hey, what happened here, you know, or at least, hey, you, you see me, you know, and dreams, dreams, a lot of the times, the images that come just give like very deep explanations of what's going on. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and you can't read them literally. No, you can't. No, you can't. No. no. So you are really, I think, you know, you're, you're part of what I think is a wave of people in the psychotherapeutic field who I think are paving a new way for people to uh, uh, heal for people to come back into balance in a way that does not, uh, uh, that honors, uh, that honors their psyche, that uh, does not ply them with the latest pharmaceuticals, but uh, really assists them, ultimately uh, empowers them to come back into, uh, to establish an inner harmony. And, and I think this is, this is a wave that is growing because it has to. Yes. It's almost like we have no time. You know, it's like that's, that's, that's why I often feel like, you know what, this is a time and it's a time to, to act and it's a time to feel and transform. And it's, it's, it's like there's no time to waste anymore, you know, in things that for one have not brought us here to where we are. Thank you. And then we can move on to, you know, those places of, of, of healing, of of being more in touch with ourselves, you know? Because the more you're connected to yourself, the more you're going to be out in the world, in, in a much better space, in, in a connecting space. So that is, I think that is, that is, that is what we're trying to, all of us, you know, you and I trying to bring to the world, be more in touch with ourselves and in connection with others. Yeah, and you are really bringing in uh, the medicine woman into the modern picture. I mean, I consider women like yourself to be the faces of modern medicine women, that this is it. This is what it is. You know, we don't have our tribes anymore. I don't have my Celtic tribes, to, you know. You don't have your tribes necessarily. Um, and here we are in this 21st century bizarre modern world, uh, and yet we are human beings and so, and some of us have this calling and 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 especially the weaving of the plants and or the 
fungi is a very ancient uh, profession, if you will. And so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say simply that what you're offering is very special, very special. Thank you. Thank you, you too, you too. And it's like, you know what, for some of us, that's that that that's our that's our way you know plant medicines um you know can be can be seen as substances to help us grow but also like i consider them emissaries their purpose is to catalyze consciousness in humans you know so it's like that that to me is when i when i work with the plants it's like okay they're helping me be more human you know they have an intelligence of their own that is much bigger than mine. So yes, I yes. really respect them, bow to them, thank them every day for helping me see, for helping me feel, for helping me be. Yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. And they love us deeply, yeah. deeply, yeah. deeply. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have, uh, I don't need a mushroom to tell me this, but on the mushroom as well, in conversation with some of those spirit teachers, uh, they have uh, made it very clear, you know, human beings are not a scourge. We are not a cancer. We are dearly loved and we are an integral part of this planet. And nature responds to, you know, where we are as a collective. And we can see where we are as a collective is a mess right now. And nature is a mess. And obviously, if, uh, if um, you know, we had very different uh, system of leadership because we don't have leaders right now. We have psychopaths. Right. Um, but if we had, you know, noble sages as leaders and people, you know, followed uh, suit uh, or, or, you know, just many, many, many healthy, balanced individuals, nature would reflect that back, obviously, because we would be approaching, people would be approaching nature very differently. Uh, so yeah, I feel a very symbiotic uh, relationship with the entheogenic plants and fungi. And I think it is no accident that uh, many, many people are being called to that right now, because that's what's needed for many people, right? Is to yeah call them back to nature and their own human nature. Yes, absolutely. That's that's what it is. It connects us back to our own human nature. You know that we're part of it all. We're not separated. We're not dominating nature. We are part of nature. Right, an integral part. An integral part of it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, quick question. So, uh, do you work with the spirits of these plants? What's your What are your thoughts in terms of the the spirit worlds? With the with the spirit of the well, the ayahuasca uh, and other plants as well. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's like when I when I'm in the jungle. I mean, that is such an amazing place for all the spirits. Not only the medicines, but nature itself. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. um, the trees, each plant, um, each medicine. You know, you you take on the spirit. I've I've dieted on many plants. Um, and you take on the spirit of ayahuasca, you take on the spirit of San Pedro, you commune with the Apus, the mountains in the Andes. Um, I, I take people also to drink San Pedro in Cusco, 
in the Andes, and I take them to the Temple of the Moon, where it's it's a beautiful temple where the the moon um, priestesses, you know, there were women that were raised to be sacrificed mm-hmm. to the goddess of the moon. Mm-hmm. And but it was not this sacrifice. I never understood when I was, you know, reading history and, and, and reading things like, okay, why, you know, because a lot of people consider those civilizations like really not only primitive, but um, inhuman, you know, they're having human sacrifices. Well, you know what? I remember years ago, I drank San Pedro and I went for the first time to the Temple of the Moon, high on San Pedro, lying down in that slate, looking up because they have a hole there. Like this is, so this is uh, like a cave and you have a hole that looks up into the moon. And I was looking up there and I was lying down and this, I don't know, images of this life where I was a priestess. Happy to be alive. My purpose in life was to be raised to, to finally be sacrificed to this beautiful deity that is the moon. And it's like it gave me all that knowledge in my body of, of you know, how to be a woman and what was my place in the community. And it was just beautiful. So I take people there so that they can have a connection to the moon, to the spirit of the moon in their bodies, you know, in their experience and what it is, you know, like what it is to have mama moon hold you. And just with so much um, light and love, um, that's, uh, that's connection to spirits. So when you're walking, you know, and, and you look at, look at the mountains they talk to you. You see the guard, the, how they guard all that place so that you can be there. You can be safe. You can be alive. And they transmit so many um, subtle ways of being just by being there, you know, silent and quiet and, you know, consistently there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to commune with the spirit of the land, the spirit of the place. And the spirits that are in nature, you know, it's beautiful to look at the moon. One thing is to feel the moon, you know, mm-hmm. to be in touch with that, with that spirit of it. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, yeah, I mean, if more people had that uh, kind of experience, uh, I think it would change them in a very beautiful way. No question. Well, Veronica, this has been uh, really fascinating to sit here and uh, hear you have so much great information and a lot of wisdom. Uh, is there a way that people can get in touch with you? Do you have a website or an email? I am, I am, I am yes, I would like to be contacted by email. Okay. It's V Hernandez, A R R U E, at gmail.com. Okay. All right. And and uh, and do you then take groups? Can people contact you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm actually forming my groups right now. This is the time of the year where I start, you know, um, organizing organizing the groups um, to go to Peru. And also, um, you know, if if they can contact me for um, 
preparation work. You know, I also work with clients that have done other medicines that they really want to integrate in their lives. And, um, you know, before we start doing um, ceremonies or medicines, and um, a lot of them include entheogens, and other ceremonies include other kinds of herbs um, that are not necessarily entheogenic. So, um, yeah, those are the kinds of things that I that I that I do and and I wouldn't say regular psychotherapy because I don't do regular psychotherapy although I use um I I, I use I'm a Jungian um use Jung and but it's also very linked into a process that is very spiritual so it's not just psychological although by its very nature Jungian analysis is a spiritual analysis to me mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. yes it so, is um and I'm creating my website. You know, I I had a I had a website, so I'm in the process of transferring. It will be, you know, I'm more or less within the month. Um, I'll have my new website um, coming. But what what will the name be of of, of the uh, website? Kusi, it's Kusi Healing Arts. K U S I Healing Arts. Mm-hmm. That's going to be my website. Okay, kusihealingarts.com. Okay. .com, yeah. Excellent. Okay, great. I just want people to be able to uh, reach you, Veronica, and I'm very excited to see the uh, website as well. So that will, of course, have the upcoming trips, so we can check back in a month or so yeah. and, and see all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, gosh, thank you so much, Aminash. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and it's just like I feel like this sisterhood and, you know, medicine women and just our connection to you and just, you know, lovely connection to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope to uh, someday have the pleasure of meeting you in person, and so have a wonderful rest of the day, Veronica, and I'll look forward to catching you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And that's the ultimate challenge, isn't it? Integrating our psychedelic experiences into our everyday lives. While it may seem unnecessary to even mention this, the information in the conversation that we just listened to was, well, it was next to impossible to learn about just 30 years ago. However, during the past three decades, some big changes have been taking place right before our eyes. For one thing, the World Wide Web and web-enabled phones that are uh, equipped with cameras and microphones have changed everything in regards to the ways in which information can now be passed from one person to another without corporate intermediaries uh, managing what we are allowed to learn. Another big thing that I see taking place, however, is a generational shift that is every bit as profound as the one that took place during uh, what is loosely called the 60s. In fact, if you were paying close attention to Veronica's story just now, you will have uh, picked up on two parts of that shift. While many indigenous people have moved into towns and cities for one reason or another, the old ways are beginning to seep back into the mainstream culture of the West. As an Iowascaro told me some time ago, the plants are telling shamans that the time has come for them to take their place in Western culture. Also, we learned here that Veronica's father, who was no longer living in the jungle, took her on her first shamanic journey when she was only 14 years old. In essence, uh, this seems to me to be a double-edged generational shift that's taking place. 
And the younger generation is now in the process of helping plants become more tightly integrated in the healing work that so many of us need to take advantage of. And so I thank Veronica, Shauna, and all of the other healers out there for taking on what Terrence McKenna sometimes called the great work. Now, uh, speaking of helping others, I recently put out a call for help on our forums. As you could tell from the recording that we just listened to, we uh, still have to come up with a better way to record interviews that take place over the Internet. Because, well, there's still some issues, such as uh, hearing a guest speech lag a little bit every once in a while. I assume that comes from one of their computers writing to disk and struggling to keep up, or maybe an email client on one of the computers is still open. Actually, uh, there can be a lot of reasons for these little technical issues to occur, and uh, I know Shauna and I have both worked on trying to fix them as best we can. But here's the request that I posted. What all of us podcasters can use is a clear and simple set of instructions for recording a Skype conversation. Not only uh, suggesting what software to use, but also uh, providing step-by-step instructions on how to set all the settings on uh, both Skype and any other software involved. And already, two saloners, Jim and Free, have posted some suggestions. Hopefully, uh, a few more of our fellow saloners will also join in that discussion. So, if you think you can help us on this, uh, please go to the topic titled Skype Podcast Recording in the Open Discussion Forum and uh, add your comments there. As you know, if you aren't already signed up for the forums, you can do so for free by registering as a student member. And being a student of psychedelic thinking is the only requirement. (laughs) You don't have to be in a formal school in case that's what you're thinking. After all, uh, we're all students here in this life, uh, the way I see it. Another topic uh, that I started recently is called American Elections 2016. And since I don't want to turn the Salon's podcast into a political program, I thought that it would still be interesting to explore our various thoughts about the uh, political situation, or I guess you'd call it a political circus, now taking place in the United States. To set the uh, stage for these discussions, I posted an MP3 file that I think you'll enjoy listening to as a way to kind of get your ideas flowing. The file is a short audio collage that begins with a soundbite from the movie Vendetta, followed by sound bites from the movies The Newsroom and Network, and also there's a bit of comedy from Bill Maher, as, uh, as well as from my favorite comedian, George Carlin. Now, my thought is that these sound bites may trigger a few ideas about the state of the world that maybe you'd like to share with us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.